then uh, to 2 Timothy chapter number 1, 2 Timothy chapter number 1, and then we'll read a passage here, and uh, you'll see from the verse what our goal is for the next, say, 40, 45 minutes or so. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter number 1, and as Rick mentioned, and similar to his, his situation, is that we've got a lot to cover in a short period of time. We can't do everything, so we're just going to do what, what we can. Uh, try to hit some highlights here. 2 Timothy chapter number 1, look with me at verse 13. 2 Timothy 1, 2 Timothy 1 verse 13 says this, uh, Hold fast the form of sound words, which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth, dwelleth in us. This thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from thee, of whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. Let's ask the Lord for insight on our time. Christ, we, we, Heavenly Father, we pray that as we really finish up the morning with these verses here, that we might appreciate not only the context in which Paul wrote this, the setting in which he was at and where Timothy was at at this time in terms of the, the, the condition of the church, but realize the parallel with our day and that we too would by faith hold fast the form of sound words that you committed to Paul and then through him to us. Well, thank you for this in Christ's name. Amen. If you'll notice again back at verse 13, you can see the phrase here where it says hold fast the form of sound words. So the purpose for this message right now is to see, is make sure that we understand the concept, the idea of what that means, a form of sound words. And let me use, uh, let me continue with the illustration that thus have been, have been used by each speaker though far, thus far. We're talking about building a building, right? Um, Brother Jordan last night kind of showed the building of the house, the importance of the foundation. Uh, Rick this morning talked about the foundation laid in the book of Romans. But a house is more than just the foundation. Is that right? I mean, if you're going to live in it. You heard about the, the guys that sit in California, their house kind of burnt down, so they're living in the mobile home or motor home but they're going to be put in jail because they're living in the motorhome instead of their house. But their house got burned down. I, I, I think it was California. Things like that happen in California, right? <laughs> okay. Another guy. This is, this is the guy. A guy is eating his, he's waiting at like a, a train station somewhere. He's eating a sandwich. And they, they handcuff the guy. It's just in California, in whatever. I, I need to preach the message, right? <laughs> this is, you, t you talk about it. I tell it uh, anyway. Okay, so. Anyway, you think about a house. A house is more than a foundation. Uh, what, else, what else do you have in a house? The, the physical building, what else do you have? Walls, doors, windows, et cetera, that type of thing. I want you to think just, just for a moment about your own house, all the things that you have in your house. You have a house, you have, you have walls, doors, windows, et cetera. What, what's the purpose of all those other things? You know, what's the purpose of the foundation? What's, what's its purpose? Okay, you build on that. It, it's the, it's the, the stabilization for everything else. Why do you have walls? What's the purpose of the walls? They're, they're going to hold up the what? The roof. What do you need a roof for? Okay, protection from sunlight, rain, that kind of thing. Okay, so then within the house, you have, what else do you have? You have like a bathroom. Why do you need a bathroom? You have a kitchen. Why do you need a kitchen and so forth? Living room, bedroom, things like that. Um, so in your house, you, there's a purpose for everything. Well, maybe not. I mean, people have all kinds of stuff in their house, but there's supposed to be a purpose, okay? And so if you imagine that you've got a set of blueprints and you're going to follow the blueprints, you're going to build a really nice house, not just with the foundation, but with the walls, the roof, doors, windows, everything like you designed them to be, all right? 
When the Apostle Paul says in that verse, verse 13, he says, hold fast the form of sound words, form. Think, uh, think of the idea like a construction, like a form, okay, a blueprint, a pattern. And you've got sound words. Sound words, is, it's words that are sound, not in the sense of noisy, but in the sense of you'd say someone is sound in mind and body, which that doesn't refer to some of us here. But anyway, um, come on, that was, I'm really trying to, keep anyway, it, the idea of sound words, they're words that because they are life-giving, they will produce health. They'll maintain health. They're without corruption. If you check the, word, the definition of the word sound in the Bible, um, it's fascinating. It's not just something noisy. A great definition is the idea is something healthy, something pure, not corrupted. And so the word of God, that's the sound words. And in particular, in Paul's epistles, you have the form, the blueprint, not just to lay the foundation, but to build the whole house. But once the house is built, what do you want to do? Move in and live in the house. And so what I want to briefly attempt to do in the next little bit and so forth is take a look at the books of, let's do it, I'm just going to try to do it this way. We're going to go Romans, and then we're going to go where? Philemon. Because in Romans through Philemon, that's, that's the form of sound words. That's the blueprint, okay? So what we're going to try to do here in the next little bit is talk, if we have time on each one, we're going to just briefly talk about each of the books and say, okay, here's the foundation. What's the purpose of the next book? What, why, why do you need Corinthians? Why do you need Galatians? Why do you need Ephesians? Why do you, when, when God wrote that book, if, if John says it this way in his gospel, he said, boy, concerning the life and ministry and miracles of Christ, he said, boy, if, if all that was written about him, the world couldn't contain the books that were there, okay? So how did God decide, how did John decide, okay, let's leave that out, let's do that? Which book of Paul's epistles would you be comfortable with leaving out? Yeah, say none, <laughs> okay? Which book, of the, which book of the Bible would you be comfortable with leaving out? No, you, you need all of them, okay? So when the Apostle Paul says there, hold fast the form of sound words, what we want to do is we want to have a better appreciation of why he told Timothy that at this time, the condition of the church at the time that Paul said that, because we're in the same condition today, actually, okay? And then make sure that we observe what that verse says, to hold fast, to make sure that we see and appreciate that in Paul's epistles, there truly is the blueprint, not just for the foundation, but for the entire house, and then how to live in the house, okay? That makes sense? So first of all, then let's take a, just a brief moment to review again the setting in which Paul wrote this book. And you can see it clearly over at verse 15. Look at verse 15. He says, this thou, this thou knowest that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me. Well, so, what difference does that make? I can't tell you, it's fascinating over the years when I point that verse out to different people, especially when you're trying to introduce them to the grace message, and especially if they're pushing back against that concept, they don't get it. When, when that verse says, will they be turned away from me, oftentimes you have people think the idea that, well, Paul is just overly concerned about himself. By turning away from Paul, they were leaving the message Christ gave to Paul, and hence they were turning away from Christ. When the Apostle Paul writes this book, the saints at Ephesus had left the faith. 
Imagine getting the book of Ephesians prior to this, which they did. Imagine study. Imagine having years and years of Bible conference based on the book of Ephesians. Studying Ephesians. Take you into the height of the heavenly places. And then what happened over time? A complacency and indifference. Oh, we've heard all that stuff before. We've seen that chart drawn before. Oh, yeah, we know it's there. And then the next generation, as it were, and so forth. And really, it didn't even take the next generation, right? But they all left. They left the doctrine. So as Paul looks out, because he, he, he left Timothy at Ephesus there, Timothy really was blaming himself about the church falling apart. He was taking it upon himself. You, you, you go back to chapter number one. He's in tears. He's doubting what he believed. The fire of the flames of the word of God had began to die down and so forth. He was clearly blaming himself. He'd actually become, look at verse 8, he'd become ashamed of the, menace, the message and the messenger. He began to back off and quit peddling it so hard, quit being quite as bold. See what's happening? So, so Paul writes this book here to encourage Timothy to tell him, listen, Timothy, this didn't fall apart because of you. There's a satanic policy of evil that is absolutely designed. It, it, it will never give up in its attempt to impeach. The, anyway, it is never give up in its attempt to overthrow this message. They're not going to give up. Satan's not going to give up. Understand that? And, and way intense and way more intense than what we're seeing in the political realm. Okay. Um, so he writes this book to encourage Timothy. Hey, look, look at what he says at verse 8. He says, be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. So, so of, that's the message. Nor of me as prisoner. There's the messenger. So, but do this. But be thou a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. Listen, if you stand for this message, you're going to get afflictions. That doesn't necessarily, sometimes because we're not physically being persecuted like some other believers in other parts of the world because we're not physically being persecuted sometimes we think well there's no affliction no the the afflictions that timothy himself was experiencing he was not being beat up they, they did that a lot to paul timothy was experiencing all those emotional afflictions that accompany a walk of faith in this message your friends turn away the repeated reference of well, you guys are in that weird cult stuff. All those kinds of things. He, he was facing many of those things, all right? Well, when he says, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. Now watch the next phrase there. According to what? What's the power of God? It's the word of God. Don't expect to have any power to endure the afflictions of the gospel on your own, in your own ability. It isn't going to work. If you're going to be a partaker of the afflictions, make sure that you do it according to the ability of the word of God to sustain you. That means keep getting back to the book. Keep get, how often should we get back to the Bible? How, the Apostle Paul, when he, tells, when he tells Titus, he says that to confirm these things. In fact, look over to Titus chapter 3. Just look at the phrase here. Look over Titus 3.8. Titus 3.8. Titus 3.8. Look at what he says. It says, this is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm. How often? Constantly, constantly, constantly. That actually means what it says. How often should we be affirming the unique apostleship of the Apostle Paul? How about constantly? If you come to your local assembly, and your pastor, your preacher is preaching the word of God rightly divided out of a King James Bible, 
and he's preaching that same message week after week after week after week after week. And when you leave that place and you say, wow, my, my preacher is preaching that same stuff he preached the previous week about right division, grace message, say amen to that guy. Amen. Thank the Lord for that man. Because that's the man who's watching out for your soul and the soul of you, your family, your children, and so forth. And he believes the word of God. And when the Apostle Paul writes this book to Timothy, the church, they've all left as it were. So Paul reminds Timothy, he says, listen, Timothy, they didn't leave because of you. They left because they quit believing the message. They allowed themselves to get off track by all these other methods instead of resting in the word of God. So Timothy, here's what you do. Back at verse 13, just do this. Hold fast, because they let it go. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me. Now, real quickly, he goes on to say, Timothy, listen, things are going to get worse. Evil men and seducers are going to wax worse and worse. He says in chapter 4, and Timothy, by the way, the time of my departure is at hand, so I'm going to glory, Timothy. <laughs> and then the other story says, he says, guess what? I'm putting you in charge. See ya. <laughs> Have fun. <laughs> I'm going on that Alaskan cruise in the sky. <laughs> you know, <laughs> have fun. <laughs> he really does. So understand, that's the background here. And so what we want to do today is we want, in, in the next little bit here, is to, to understand when he says, hold fast the form of sound words, there really is a form of pattern to the words in Paul's epistles. You go Romans through Philemon. And if we'll, if, we'll, if we'll hold fast that. It, by the way, even if you don't know the word of God rightly divided, if you'll just read Romans through Philemon in that order for six months, by default, you'll know it. You won't even necessarily know that you know it. It's amazing how it does that, okay? So let's do it this way then. Let's, let's try to do it this way. Um, I'm, I'm going to have you... Rick already did the thing about Romans. What's the purpose of the book of Romans? What's the purpose? What does it do? It lays the foundation about the cross. And it, and it gives a proper orientation to the believer to the grace of God. The grace of God in relationship to our justification. A proper orientation to the grace of God in relationship to our sanctification a proper orientation to the grace of God in, or, in relationship to the dispensation of grace, therefore not Israel, and then a proper orientation to the grace of God in relationship to the application of this new life and all that doctrine. See that? So it lays that foundation. So we're going to move from there, right? The foundation is laid. You've got the concrete set, and it's cured, as it were. And so we have a proper understanding of the grace of God in those four realms. What book comes next? So now let's start thinking through each book briefly. What book comes next? Okay, think about that. First Corinthians. What's going on in Corinthians? Look at this. Look over to First Corinthians chapter number one. Look at First Corinthians chapter number one. Watch this. At verse 10, he says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same things. What's the same things that we all ought to be speaking? It's 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 those four pillars. He says. It says that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. 
for it has been declared unto me of you, uh, of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Question: Can it, in, in those four pillars of Romans, do you any do you see anything that if we're going to be walking by those four pillars, that we should be contentious with each other? Yes, no. Do you understand my question? If we're going to be walking on that foundation of those four pillars in the book of Romans, should we be having all these divisions among ourselves? The answer is no. So something got them off track, right? Look at what he goes on to say. This I say, that every one of you saith that I am of Paul, I have Apollos, I have Cephas, and I have Christ. Now, the common interpretation of that verse right there is that they're following personalities. I'm saying that's not an issue of following personalities. They're following four different sets of doctrine by the identification of those people. Okay? When, when he says that, uh, that some of you say, I have Paul, what's the next one? I have Paulus. What do you know about Apollos? He was mighty in the scriptures, but he only, only knew up to the baptism of John. It took Aquila and Priscilla to bring that guy up to, to date, right? It says, and I have Cephas, so that would be up to Acts 2.38. I have Christ, that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What's happening is that some people at Corinth came along and began to change the focal point of Jesus Christ as the cornerstone in relationship to what God was doing in the dispensation of grace. There were those that were following Apollos. They were taking them back to John's baptism. Those who those were following Christ. They were taking them back to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There were those who were following Peter. They were taking them to back to Acts 2.38. Does that kind of sound familiar? How were they doing that? Keep reading. Watch this. I'm going to jump ahead. Uh, um, he, what, what doctrines did he bring up in 13, 14, 15, 16? Baptism. Was baptism included in, in Apollos' ministry and message? Was baptism included in the ministry of Christ? Was baptism included in Acts 2.38? In all those messages. It's a part of the message. So the way that they were taking the, the, the thinking of the, of, the, of the Corinthians away from the foundation of the house that was to be built in their soul is they took them to something that was scriptural, biblical. It's in the Bible. Jesus himself was baptized and commanded the apostles to do it as well. And so, don't you want to follow Jesus? Don't you want to be scriptural? Don't you want to obey the master as it were? Well, yeah, if you say it that way. <laughs> I mean, how would you say, no, I don't want to obey the Lord? <laughs> how, you know? So what they do, they get them off track and they take them back to information that is biblical but not dispensational, dispensational grace, right? All of those things were doing this. Look at verse 17. For Christ sent me not to baptize but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest, lest what? cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Listen, the goal of all of that was to render the cross of Christ of none effect. And that's what it did. That's what it was doing. The goal of what was happening there was to take the, how, how the Apostle Paul had properly or given to the Romans a proper orientation about the grace of God in relationship to justification, sanctification, etc. And it got them to kind of shift their thinking just a little bit and hence it was rendering the cross of Christ of none effect. For something to be of none effect is what? What's that mean? It doesn't have his power. It doesn't have his power. Let's, let's take a look at what this looks like practically. If you say Christ died for your sins, was buried and rose again, 
Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and you ought to be baptized. What did you just do? You got, you got the, the focus of that lost person off of the total, complete, finished work of Christ and onto something that they had to do. And then she rendered the cross of Christ in an effect. So, so their orientation to justification, they didn't get it. And if you don't get a proper orientation to justification, you're not going to get a proper understanding to sanctification and so on. So what happened here at Corinth is that these false teachers came in and they were using human viewpoint about the Bible. When he says, look, I'm going to look at verse 18. He says, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is what? See, just like it's the, the cross is God's answer towards our justification, the cross is God's answer towards sanctification. The cross is God's answer toward the dispensation and the application of all that doctrine. The cross is the answer. Verse 19, for it is written, I will destroy the, what's this, the wisdom of the wise, will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. See, whereas, see the idea of the wise wisdom event? Understand this. What, what they were appealing to, to understand God's word, was the wisdom of men about God's word. When that verse talks about the wisdom of men, it's not talking about like physics or astronomy or mathematics or geology. That, that's, the, the wisdom of men was they had theological religious leaders who came in at Corinth and they were using things that were scriptural. It was taking the mind away from the cross of Christ as a complete total sufficient answer not just for justification but also for sanctification and the dispensation of grace and the application of grace look at how he says it over in chapter 4 chapter 4 chapter 4 verse 15 for though you 415 for though you have what's he say there they had a lot of teachers at Corinth is God exaggerating there? Isn't that fascinating? Look at these guys. You got, yeah, a big megachurch, and lots of them. He says, for though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ. Wait a minute. How can you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, and yet the church at Corinth be so totally confused and divided? What was the problem? The problem wasn't the number of preachers, nor the available resources, the problem was the doctrine that was being taught by the preachers. He says this, For though ye have ten thousand instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers for in Christ Jesus. I have begotten you through the gospel. So what's the solution? What's the answer? Wherefore I beseech you do what? What's that verse say? Follow the The answer for the Corinthian confusion is to get back to the Apostle Paul. The answer for the Corinthian confusion is to get back and hold the form of sound words. The answer to the Corinthian confusion is to go back and understand how the book of Romans lays the foundation that Christ and his crosswork is the answer for all of those things. So watch what he says. For this cause, that is to get you guys back on track. To get you guys to follow Paul. For this cause have I sent you unto Timotheus. Okay, well, why? What's he going to do? Who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord. What's he going to do? Watch this. Who shall bring you into remembrance. You mean they knew these things. 
to bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. There it is right there. The answer for the Corinthian confusion that still is with us to this day is to be brought back to Paul's ways, which he teaches in Christ in every church. Well, wait a minute. Paul's not here today. We can't call him on the phone or send him a text, text message. Well, so what do you, what do you, that is his, his written word there. The book of Corinthians, if you're going to get away from the foundation of the book of Romans, if you're going to get away from it as a result of human viewpoint about Scripture, the book of 1 Corinthians tells you how you're going to get away from it and why you're going to get away from it. But the book of Corinthians tells you how to get back. That's the most important thing. Not just that they're off track, but how to come back. And those verses right there explain how. Quickly go to 2 Corinthians. Go to 2 Corinthians. So what's the issue in 2 Corinthians? By the, by the way, by the time Paul writes 2 Corinthians, you can see in the book of 2 Corinthians that the Corinthians actually made a pretty significant stride and improvement relative to where they were when he wrote 1 Corinthians. They still had a long way to go, but they really had made pretty good improvements, and it's because they, they were beginning to reorient their, their thinking back to his ministry, all right? So, so, so why do we need 2 Corinthians? Two gigantic issues in 2 Corinthians. How many of us here ever need, how many of us here ever need to know that God really does care? How many of us ever need comfort? How about if you live in the same earth I live in? <laughs> yeah. And how many of us need to know and understand not just that God is the living God, but how he works today? Do we need to know that? Is there, is there any confusion in Christianity about, oh, God is, you know, God's manipulating all the events that are happening and so forth? And any, any question about 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 that that's second corinthians second corinthians conveys how it is that the corinthians were confused about these two major issues one is the comforting capacity of god's word and his word in saints to the saints and number two how he was working in the saints look at how the book starts second corinthians chapter number three one one i'm sorry chapter one and verse three second corinthians one three it says this it says Look how it starts. This is wonderful. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the, he, the Father of mercies, and he's the God of all what? This, that's, that's the stage for the whole book of 2 Corinthians. It tells you the trouble, the, the, the battle the Corinthians themselves were facing. It tells you why they got away from them and so forth. They needed comfort, but they were looking to the wrong sources of comfort. Here identifies God as the God of all comfort. Watch what he does. Who comforteth us by getting us out of all our tribulation. Okay, wait a minute. So would, would those be saying two different things? If you said God comforts us by rescuing us from our tribulations, or if you say God who comforts us in all our tribulations, are, are those saying the same thing? What's different about those things? How about pain? <laughs> How about you still, you're still hurting? And while you still have the pain and still experience the tribulation, you still have to rest and believe that God has not abandoned you. 
The Apostle Paul wants to, what he's doing here with the Corinthians, he's reorienting their thinking back to the cross, that the cross answers the question about God's love, about his comfort, about the fact that even though he's not manipulating the circumstances of life, he still has an abandonment, he still cares. He is the God of all comfort, and he does comfort us, watch this, in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. You mean God will comfort me so that I can get my eyes off of myself so that I can be useful to him to comfort someone else. Does it change our perspective when we get our eyes off of ourselves? What does that change? Yeah, everything, yeah. <laughs> it, it puts everything back in order. That's a great way to put it. When, when our eyes are on ourselves, Everybody around us is miserable, <laughs> right? What'd you say? No, they say God, God does comfort. He comforts us so that we can comfort others. We become useful to other members of the body of Christ. Therefore, we believe we're a member of one another. We're members one of another in Christ. But, but he goes on to say, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. So, so how did God comfort Paul? With his word. How did Paul seek to comfort Timothy? With his word. And therefore, if we're looking for God to comfort us, should we open his word and read it or close his word and look for feelings? Open his word and let the living power of the word of God do its work in our, our, in our needy soul. And he says this, for as the sufferings of Christ abandoned us, and they did. Did they not? See the as so? As the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. Think about, think about all that this is conveying. In the midst of affliction, suffering, the need of consolation, God doesn't come along and take the suffering away, and yet he still does comfort us by Christ in us. That demands that he still cares about us. He knows about the affliction. He still cares. Now watch verse 6. And whether we be afflicted, and they were, it's for your consolation and salvation. Salvation in that verse is not salvation from hell, but salvation from despair, losing hope. Despondency in the midst of going through some affliction. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is, watch this, which is effectual how? In the enduring of the same sufferings. Look at it this way. If tribulation comes, not, not the tribulation period, but if tribulation comes in life, if God is to constantly stop that tribulation or always take us out of the tribulation, what will never happen to you? You'll never grow spiritually because you'll never find out actually whether or not the Word of God really works. Right? Can I, can I share a testimony that someone just told me just uh, yesterday when I got here? I'm not going to give any particular details, but they were mentioning about how that when they moved, it was very, very hard for them, her and her husband, because they were part of the deer saints in the local assembly for a number of years. 
but they moved up to be with children, grandchildren, etc. And they conveyed the idea that because of the situation there and the need and and how they just never would have grown like they have grown as a result of just giving themselves to the need. You see the concept there? Isn't that true? You put yourself in situations like that and you, you realize that, wow. You, listen, you know intellectually, you know theoretically that the word of God works because it says it works and other people say it works. But who needs to know if it works? You do just in terms of practicality in life. How do you find it if it works? Put it to the, yeah, get in trouble. <laughs> Man, I think that's my brother there, right? <laughs> that guy and I are brothers, <laughs> right? The way you find out if it works is just live, <laughs> right? And, and it does work. It's effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. But we have to know this. We have to know this. Go to chapter 4. Go to chapter 4 quickly. Chapter 4. Watch this. Verse 7. But we have this treasure. Did you guys know we have a treasure? Well, what's the treasure? We have the treasure, something that God exalts above his own and something he thinks is so valuable, like, 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 like Rick said earlier. He equates his written word with the living word because they're both living. Christ is the word. They're equal. He exalts his written word above his own name. Philippians says that, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. He exalted him above his own name. He put both at the same level there. The, the treasure we have is the very word of God. But notice where it is. That verse says, but we have this treasure in what? Earthen vessels. You ever thought about that? What, why would you put a treasure in something so frail and breakable as clay? Rick was talking about, you don't want cracks in the foundation. That's true, but you do want cracks in your clay. You want to be aware of the cracks in your clay. It's just an earthen vessel. If I recognize I'm an earthen vessel, if I believe that about myself, what else is that going to lead me to believe? To not trust in myself. To realize I'm not the value. To realize I'm not the resource. I'm not the energy. It's not about me. He says at this verse, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power. That, that is, the power is so powerful, it has the ability to excel beyond the expectation. That it may be of God. And that there, there's a power in the Word of God that it's so obvious that there, it's of God and not of me because I can't endure this. Watch how he describes this. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. See, see the, the outside, troubled on every side. The inside, stability. Perplexed, the outside, yet not in despair. There's the inside. Persecuted, there's the outside, but not forsaken. Confidence that God has not let us down and, and, and abandoned us. We're cast down, but not destroyed. You see, you got, you got the, 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 the just external, it's all raging out there. 
but there's a treasure inside of us that's able to provide stability. Remember when the Lord Jesus Christ sends the disciples out on, on the sea there and the winds come up and everything in the race, and, 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 and they say, the, it, Scripture says they're at their wit's end. By the way, that assumes you have some wits, right? <laughs> but you, when you're at, what does that mean you're at your wit's end? You, you've tried every possible way to save yourself and you realize, yeah, I'm doomed. I'm done. It's over. And he says, Verse 10, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. That the life also of Jesus might be manifest in our body. For we which deliver always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be manifest where? In our, uh, what's immortal flesh? One that hasn't died yet. So then death, it actually works in us. And the way that death works in us is when we abandon self confidence. The way that death works in us is that we come to the same conclusion with Scripture that, listen, we, we had this sentence of death in ourselves. If, if I was to get what I deserve, I get death. But the treasure's in me. It's God's Word. So life works in you. We have in the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. Well, then guess what? We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. Look, look at that. Look at that, about that verse. Paul is in the midst of torment, affliction, suffering, persecution. What does he appeal to to believe what he claims based upon verse 14? Yeah, the resurrection. See that there? If, if God raised Christ from the dead, and I'm in Christ, then God has to raise me from the dead. Okay, wait. But Paul, you're in affliction now. You hurt today. You're, you're being persecuted today. You see what Paul appeals to for, to sustain him? Not that God is going to get me out of the trouble today, but some point in the future, he's going to raise me from the dead. Uh, between now and then, trouble's my friend, as it were. It's my companion, my constant companion. I'm trying to say this. Second Corinthians comes along and conveys to the Corinthians that though they were going through affliction and persecution, much of it was self-imposed and caused, by the way, because they had allowed themselves to be taken away from the the foundation of Romans. But when it looked like in their life that the living God maybe had abandoned them because they were in affliction and persecution, Paul says, no, no, no. The cross of Christ proves that God is the God of all comfort. And he will comfort you. But the way he comforts you is through his word working in you. And he does it that way so that he can use you to comfort other members of the body of Christ who themselves have the same struggles and questions that you have. So don't look to God to manipulate and change all the external sufferings and and problems that you have in life. Rather, learn to depend on the treasure to work in you inside to deal with the problems that you have. See how 2 Corinthians does that? It's just so amazing how it does that. First and 2 Corinthians together, they, they work together to come back and reorient the Corinthians to the common questions of life, affliction, suffering, pain, whatever it might be, the common questions of life, reorienting them back to 
the cross work of Christ, as laid down in the book of Romans, orienting them to the grace of God in justification, sanctification, dispensation, and application. See how it does that? Now, we don't have but a few more minutes left, so we're not going to get through all of this, but let's quickly go to, let's quickly go to Galatians. Let's quickly go to Galatians. Because that's the next book, right? Now, watch this. <laughs> this, is, this is really, man, what do you leave out? <laughs> okay. I remember reading or hearing someone say years ago, I, I can't remember if it was Pastor Jordan or who, but someone conveyed the idea that when, when Paul wrote the book of Galatians, it's like he's got steam coming out of, fire coming out of his ears. He is so intensely upset. He, he's pretty, and Galatians is pretty intense. When, when you read how he starts, like Romans and Corinthians and Ephesians and so forth, it's, it's, it's more of a, a, a kind of a, well, it's certainly a serious introduction, but Paul, the grace of God, the love of God, how you're doing kind of things. Watch how he starts Galatians. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father raised from the dead. Get over it. That's how he starts the book. Boom, right in your face. What happened with the Galatians, the way that they got pulled away from that foundation laid down in the book of Romans is that they forgot who the apostle Paul was. The book is about his apostleship when you think about it. In order for you to get away from and yet still want to be biblical, in order for you to get away from the doctrine of justification by grace through faith alone and the finished work of Christ alone, and you still want to be biblical, what do you have to do? You have to leave Paul and go back to the Gospels. In order for you to get away from sanctification by grace through faith alone and the cross work of Christ alone as, as written and proclaimed by the Apostle Paul, in order for you to do that and yet still want to be biblical, you just get away from Paul's apostleship. Go back to the Gospels. Go back to the Old Testament. In order for you to claim and get away from the dispensational issue, in order for you to claim, well, we're spiritual Jews, we're spiritual Israel, you just got to abandon Paul's apostleship. But, but if you want to be biblical, you go, you go back to the Old Testament. Hey, here's who we are. We're, we're James. Even though James says he's writing to the 12 tribes scattered abroad, he's really writing to us, right? I don't think he thought that. <laughs> How about the book of Hebrews? Oh, man. He, well, that's another whole study, right? <laughs> but understand this. In chapter number 1, look at verse 11. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it. But how? Okay, why did the Galatians need to know that? Why do we need to know that? If they were moved away from Paul as their apostle, therefore they can discount what Paul said. So by, in order for them to realize the value of Paul's apostleship and his written information, they need to know the source that he got it from. And if that verse says, I didn't get it from man, I got it by direct revelation from the Lord Jesus Christ, now what's the decision they have to make? Where are they going to believe that? See, Paul in verse 11 and 12 conveys the, the source of information and therefore the authority that it carries. Quickly, if you would, go to chapter number 3. Watch this, chapter number 3. Chapter number 3, watch what he starts. Verse 1, O foolish Galatians, 
That'd be an interesting theme for a Bible conference, right? <laughs> oh, fools. <laughs> yeah. So imagine sending out the invitations to conference, and the theme is, oh, fools, come fools. Yeah. <laughs> right there, yeah. But he says, oh, foolish Galatians. In, in the Bible, the fool is what? The fool is one that says there is no God, right? So, so why would Paul call them foolish Galatians? They're not thinking correctly, but they're in particular not thinking correctly about about Paul's ministry, his apostleship, the source of Paul's information. Hence, they were saying, well, yeah, Paul, you've got a pretty important apostleship, but you're not quite as important as Peter. He's the head of the twelve. Christ gave him the keys. But he says, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth crucified among you? Now watch what he does here. He asks them a series of questions. This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? What's the answer to that question? What, what is the question, by the way? What's the question there? How'd you get saved? What's the answer? Works are over here in faith. W did we learn anything about that in Romans? See how in that question right there, he's taking them back to chapters 1 through 5 of Romans. Now, now I understand they didn't have Romans at the time of well, Galatians. I understand that, okay? That's what he's doing. Taking them back to the foundation stone, the foundation pillar, as it were. What's the next question? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now perfected by the flesh? What's that? That verse is not justification. What's that? That's sanctification. That takes them to the next pillar in Romans. They're thinking. Watch this. Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministers to you with the Spirit, and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? Question. Did God work miracles among Israel? Did he do it because of the law? Did God deal with the nation of Israel on the basis of the law? So when he was doing those miracles, were they under the law? So if we're looking for God to do these miracles, well, then who do we think we are? Israel under the law. That's Paul reorienting him towards that pillar in Romans. You're not Israel. That's not why he's working among you. See that there? I'm saying this. That just similar to the way that First and Second Corinthians tells you how those believers, how the church got off of the foundation laid in Romans and then how to get them back, Corinthians got them off of the foundation of Romans by using the method of human viewpoint about the Bible. Scriptural, human viewpoint, theology as it were. So to Galatians, these false teachers came along, they were using Scripture, in particular the law of Moses, and they got them away from Paul the Apostle. So Galatians tells you how to bring them back. And the way to bring them back is there's a series of questions right there. See that? Okay, now, I recognize I'm out of time. So how about if I give you some homework? You guys like homework, right? <laughs> and your pastor's going to check your homework, so you don't tell him your dog ate it, right? <laughs> kind of thing. But you got some homework. Just like you can ask the question, okay, what's the purpose of Romans? Okay, so now you got that. Okay, so why do I need Corinthians? Okay, now I see why I need that. And 2 Corinthians, I, now I see I need that. Okay, what's Galatians for? Okay, now I see why I need Galatians. What book comes next? You got Ephesians. Ephesians now takes and the, the doctrine of the church 
in the heavenly places. And if you're going to get off track in relationship to the doctrine of the church in the heavenly places, the book of Philippians actually tells you how you're going to get off track. But more importantly, it tells you how to come back. That's, that, that, that follows Ephesians, right? And, and then let's look at this one. What, what book follows Philippians? Look at Colossians. Look, there are several things going on in Colossians, but one of the, the, the main issue in the main issue in Ephesians is the church of which Christ is the head. The main issue of Colossians is Christ, which is the head of the church. Both are critical. Let me ask it this way. If the adversary, so, so let's say you believe Romans, and then let's say you believe Corinthians, and let's say you believe Galatians and so forth, and so now you begin to study Ephesians and so forth, like, like the Ephesians, and then the Ephesians got led astray, so forth. How was it that the adversary was so successful to get the Ephesians and the Colossians and the Laodiceans to, to, to leave the message? How was he able to do that? Look over to chapter 1 of, Colossi, of Colossians. Watch this. Uh, uh, just for time's sake, I'm going to just jump right. It, 123. The, the whole section here is talking about the reconciliation of both heaven and earth. Christ is the preeminent one in all things. But watch this. 23. 123. If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from what? Notice that verse doesn't say moved away from the gospel. Now, you don't want to do that either. That verse says, be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Look in the same chapter, look at verse 3. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have to all the saints for the what? The hope which is laid up for you in heaven. The, the hope of the gospel is that heavenly calling, the heavenly places and purpose of the body of Christ. So the rapture are placed in the heavenly places, go to the judgment seat of Christ and so forth. That, that, that whole doctrine of the hope, we, we studied about that in previous conferences, right? So think about what the Colossians were facing among many things. The adversary was trying to get them to be moved away from the hope of the gospel. The hope of the gospel was our heavenly calling. So, beginning at the rapture, and then placing heavenly places, right? Question. Is there any debate in Christianity about the timing of the rapture, or even the rapture itself? Yeah. So, Colossians tells you how the adversary successfully moved some of them away from the hope of the gospel, and more importantly, how to get them back. See that there? What book comes next? What book comes next? What book comes after Colossians? Come on, what about the rest? What, what, look, you, you, you can look at the, yeah, it's 1 Thessalonians. What's Thessalonians about? The rapture, among other things. So, so if in 1 Thessalonians he writes wonderful information about, about Christ coming for us, as well as he writes information about the day of the Lord and so forth, why do you need 2 Thessalonians? What happened? Someone wrote a letter forged Paul's signature to it, got the Corinthians, to th the Thessalonians to think that it was from Paul, and in that false letter, it, the chart's not up here, it just blended and jumbled everything together. That's what it did. And it shook them up in their minds. It destabilized them. And what, what happens is this, let's just look at this real quick, if you would. Uh, 
Maybe the food's not here yet. Am I being optimistic? Right? <laughs> you know, it is. She said, "Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know." Look, watch this. Yeah, watch this. Look at Second Thessalonians two. I'm going to start at verse one. Chapter two, Second Thessalonians two, verse one. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together. See, there's the rapture. Our gathering unto Him. Watch this that you be not soon shaken in mind, which means someone not only was trying to get them shaken up, but successfully did it. That you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled. By the way, th th that means, when he says soon shaken, that means as soon as the, that means, among many other things, as soon as Paul began to teach about the pre-tribulation rapture, Satan attacked it. He didn't wait till the first, second, third, fifth you know, century. He, he's attacking it soon. To destroy that view of the hope in the heavens. Because if he can move them away from the uniqueness of their hope in the heavenly places, he can get them to rethink, well, maybe we're not this unique creature, the one new man, the church of the body of Christ. Well, maybe we're Israel after all. And then they're back focusing on the earth. But he says this, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by what? Letter. They received an actual letter they read it, they thought it was from Paul, and, it, and it, it, it displaced the timing of the rapture. By the way, that tells you that the, the guys who had the gift of prophecy at Thessalonica, they were not doing such a good job. They should have said, no, that's a false letter. That's not from our apostle. That's interesting to think about that. Anyway, he says, nor by letter as from us as at the day of Christ. So, so what happens is that what Paul does in the rest of the chapter here, he, he, he gives them a timeline. Why does he do that? To get them back. To reorient their thinking back to the, their relationship, not only to the rapture, but also to the day of the Lord. They're going to go up in the rapture, and they're not going to go through the day of the Lord. So after he gives them verse 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, all the way down through there, look at what he says at verse 15. Therefore, brethren, in the light of verses 3 through 14. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold to traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or by our epistle. His epistle said something very different than that false letter said. And he said the way to stand fast, the way to be restabilized, is to turn back to the Apostle Paul's letters. And read what he says. Very quickly, what comes next? You've got 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. Suffice it to say this, but, but your homework is to go and f flesh all this out, right? Here you have these letters to the churches, then you have these last four to individuals. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. 1 Timothy, you've got the church that's kind of being organized and ruled. 2 Timothy, the church is in ruin. Titus, the church is, as it were, reorganized. And then Philemon, it's one little book where he takes that information that he laid down in Romans and Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and First and Second Thessalonians, and he says in Philemon, here's what it looks like in flesh. So adorn the doctrine of God. That's a phrase in Titus. In one little book, he says, here's what the house looks like. 
the house that's in you when you're living in the house. It's amazing. If you want to do a marvelous study, take the book of Philemon and just see how many individual doctrines you see the Apostle Paul clearly write about in Philemon. Identification, justification, sanctification, all the different things in Christ. It's amazing. Paul tells Timothy, listen, Timothy, the church is in ruin. It's not your fault. Get over yourself. That, that's hard to do sometimes, right? <laughs> okay. He said, be a partaker, so, so get back in the battle. Do so according to the ability of God's word to sustain you. And hold fast this pattern because the pattern's real. It's there, and it will produce the man of God. It will truly furnish you unto all good works. Let's close in prayer. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you. We could spend a little bit of time this morning looking into your word to, be, to allow your word to remind us that the battles that we face, that, that believers have faced them for many, many years ahead of us, and, and your word has always been that which is able to sustain us. And we pray and ask God that as we, as we go through the various challenges of life and, and make various decisions, that we would always appeal to your word and just ask the question, what, what does your counsel say? What does your wisdom say about how to approach these issues? Well, thank you for this in Christ's precious name. Amen.